I want to talk to you a little bit today about God's school for greatness. You know, we look over our life and sometimes we wonder what, how, all of these things that I've been through accomplished, all the trials, all the heartaches, uh, all the days of loneliness, all the days of of uh, confusion and just so much going on all the times that I've been tried. But you know what? God has put us through school. And as I looked out this morning at you, I thought, okay, God, there's not one person in here that can say, I haven't been through these tests. I haven't been through the schools that you're bringing us through. And you have brought most of the people that God has really used in a great way. God has brought them through his school of greatness. Amen. First Kings 17. Uh, we'll just read uh, verse 1 there, and we're going to talk a little bit about Elijah the Tishbite. Hallelujah, verse 1, First Key 17, verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before, before whom I stand, there shall not do nor reign these years, but according to my word. And as I said, we want to talk about God's school for greatness. You know, we always... We choose schools that we go to, especially in the time that we're living now, uh, in now, where people are choosing their profession or they're being led by the Spirit of God. Uh, and we choose the best schools to attend to better uh, our lives and to educate us for our profession so that we can get better jobs. Amen. We can live a more comfortable life. And you know, when I was looking at this, I thought about some of us. I thought about Haley. Haley, I thought about you, sweetheart, when you went to OBU, how you chose that college because you felt like it had the best music teaching, the best music department there. And that's why you chose that. And others that have gone, been going to ORU, studying for the profession that he felt God had called him into. Others, Mariah and different ones that are here today, they've gone to the best school, amen, that they could possibly figure out just to educate themselves for what they felt like God had for them. Jared, amen, and and so many of us. uh, But you know what? I want to talk just a little bit how God is very serious uh, about his schools, uh, about his training, amen. Uh, Some of the greatest results uh, have been uh, gained from using God's methods. Uh, Praise God. Uh, Okay, you know, God uses two things. He uses obscurity. And he uses isolation. How many of you feel like you've been through the school of obscurity? (laughs) Amen. Uh, Oh, I think most of us have. Uh, And the school of isolation. I've kind of felt like all my life I've been going to school. Amen. Uh, But God's university has two methods, uh, obscurity and isolation. Uh, Some of his greatest results uh, have been gained through these schools and through this training, obscure, what is obscurity? It's unknown. How many of you feel like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm unknown and I'll never be known. <laughs> no, you're known in the eyes of God. Amen. Unknown, little known, humble, minor, unfamiliar, out of the way, unseen, lowly, unimportant, unheard of. Oh, my. Unnoticed. God's school of obscurity. 
And then, isolation. We know what isolation means. To be set apart from others or to be separate from another. Uh, being alone, solitary, separation, withdrawn, removed from society or secluded. Is there anybody here that can say, I've never been there? I don't think so. I think we've all been there. I know I've been there. It seems like it's been a lifestyle for me. So I hope I've learned something <laughs> doing all this training, all these places. Uh, but we can look back in the, in the scripture and we can find, um, different people that God trained. We can look at Abraham. Abraham was trapped in the obscurity of earth, then wandering about in a wilderness of isolation. Remember the Lord spoke to Abraham and he said, I want you to go to a country that I'll send you. He didn't know anything about it. But he was led by the Spirit, amen, and God brought him to the place where he could bless him, amen. So Abraham was one that was trapped in uh, uh, obscurity of Ur and wandering about in a wilderness of isolation. And we can look over in Genesis 12 and we can find where God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to a place that you know not that I'm, I'm leading you to. Joseph, Joseph was another one. Joseph was confined in the obscurity of a servant, and he was locked up in isolation in prison. We all know the story of Joseph, but we know how in the end, how God used him to bless his family and to bless others. Praise God. The devil might have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I believe every step that we take in this journey called life, I believe it's for a reason. I believe it's for a purpose, and I believe it's to condition us and educate us to do what God has called us to do. We're all different. We've all, we come from different places, but you know, God has a reason and a purpose. David, David was confined in the obscurity of the youngest child, and he was locked up in the isolation of a pastor where he learned to fight. He learned how to pray. And he learned how to worship in those times. I don't want to bore y'all this morning, but if you'll stay with me, we're going somewhere. Amen. Praise God. Paul. Paul was another one. Paul was sent to the desert of isolation north of Damascus. You might, you know, you could take each one of these and you could get a message out of it. Then we look at Amos. Amos was linked to the obscurity of fig gathering and the isolation of the prophetic call. We can liken these people to some of us, couldn't we? And then, this is the case of Elijah. Talking about the prophet Elijah. Elijah shows up at a very dark time in Israel's history. We know that. And uh, Ahab provoked God more than any other king. And over in 1 Kings 16, 33, it says, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. You know, Ahab was not altogether a wicked man, but he was a very weak man. And we know uh, that he became the pawn of a very crafty, uh, cruel woman, Jezebel. We all know that story, but he fell under the wicked sway of Jezebel's spirit. And after Ahab married this woman, a, a Phoenician 
descent, she immediately set out to do a work to destroy Israel. So we know she built the temple of Astart in Israel. In Jezreel. She built a commune that supported 450 priests of Baal. She was at work doing the work of the enemy to destroy, to kill, and to tear down. Amen. But you know, I was thinking any time there's a Ahab, anytime there's a Jezebel, there's going to be an Elijah. And I believe that the Elijah anointing is coming upon God's people, those that have been faithful. We were at a prayer meeting, what, a week or so ago, and the Lord kept speaking the word, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. And there is an Elijah anointing that's coming upon the end-time church. Amen? Amen. I believe that with all my heart. um, And this woman, she built a temple in Samaria. She tore down the altars of God at Carmel, and she replaced them with shrines and groves. She was a wicked woman. She was doing everything it liked, and it reminds me of what's going on today in our government, how they're trying to take away anything that represents God, trying to take God out of everything. Amen. She began to persecute the priests and the prophets of Jehovah throughout the land with a Fury possessed by hell. You know, I was reading where, I know there's a lot of persecution going on now, but I was just reading just a few days ago where I think it was North Korea, they they murdered, they martyred 50 people because they were serving God. And we hear a lot going on in our world today. But you know what? Elijah came on the scene. Praise God during this time. Elijah came on the scene. And I don't think, Elijah would have chosen the path of obscurity that God had planned for him if it would have been up to him. And most of us would not, would not choose to go the way that God has brought us. I thought about myself when I was looking at this and I, I, I've been thinking so much lately. I was raised, born, raised, I was born in New Orleans, but I was raised in a, a little community called Grand River, Louisiana. Very humbling place. We had a little post office. We didn't have a store. All, all uh, Earlier, later on, my uncle had a store there. But, you know, we had a fish boat that would come out ever so often and buy the fish and had a little store on that fish boat. Didn't have much going on there. We had to walk where we went unless we had to go all the way into town. And then we'd have to travel down a muddy levee, muddy road, no gravel. You know, and I think about that. But I think about the hours that I spent feeling all alone, feeling like I was the least among any human being. I remember those times, but also I remember the times uh, in the quietness when God spoke to me, when God would give me dreams, amen, uh, when God, uh, even though I had didn't know anything about the infilling of the Holy Spirit at that time, uh, but God dealt with me. God dealt with me. I was very sensitive, very discerning, only God. 
But I thank God for the grace of God that brought me through that time. Uh, and then I could go on and I could tell you a long history uh, up to now of my life uh, where it was many, many hours, uh, many days uh, of loneliness, a feeling of obscurity in my life. Amen. But you know what? I thank God that he was right there. I thank God that his grace is sufficient. Amen. Uh, and it was sufficient all the way through. Uh, it's sufficient up until now. Amen. And it always will be. But you know, as I said earlier, as I looked at y'all, uh, I thought about you, Linda. I thought about, I know you spent lonely hours. Amen. I mean, she lost her husband years a few years back, and she's had to live alone. Amen. And I thought about you, Sister Joe. I thought about you, Brother Milton, in the facility there. But you know what? God will take these times, uh, and he'll prove and show himself strong. Uh, he will talk to us, uh, amen, uh, like he could not talk to us any other time. Praise God. So don't feel as if there was no purpose in you being brought through to this point. Amen. From Trinidad. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the school. Amen. Um, but most of people, you know, <clears throat> we don't want that road. We don't want to walk it. But there's so much training in it. So much training in it. Praise God. We'll get to a little bit more here. Um, <clears throat> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I was talking about this journey, <laughs> about God's school of greatness. Amen. And it may not be coming out exactly the way I feel it in my spirit. But, you know, God has brought us. He has educated us, and he's still educating us, and he always will until he comes. And I was reading about some runners, you know, about this certain runner. I think his name was McDonald, McDonald, Gordon McDonald. How, when he used to train, he would train in obscurity. He would train in isolation. He would be out there all along running the racetrack, preparing for the for the championship or whatever it was, amen. But you know what he said? He said runners. He said um, he said they they're trained when they run alone. They run alone summons great possibilities from the heart and the mind. To run alone will cause one to look back over the track he's covered and learn from yesterday. To run alone taught him to love self-discipline and to be aware of the temptations of self-indulgence. It'll cause one to appreciate the power that comes from a team when it's time to run along with the team. Hallelujah. It'll cause us to appreciate all the things that he has taught us on this journey. To run alone is one of life's greatest challenges, but it can also be one of life's greatest blessings. Treasures of darkness and hidden riches in secret places. That's what it all amounts to. Sometimes it seems like a dark, lonely road. Amen. But when we look at Elijah, we can, there are a few lessons there that we can learn from his own obscurity and his own loneliness. Number one, this place... This training teaches us dependence on God. Sometimes it feels like, Lord, it's just me and you. 
But that's all we need. You know, us and God make up the majority. Amen? We're not in the majority when we're walking with the Lord. So we make up the majority. Praise God. Uh, there would come times in Elijah's life, I know, when he felt like he was all alone. And we know that there did. There were, were times, remember, under the juniper tree. I'm tired today, so y'all just bear with me. There were times, you know, when he faced uh, life alone. Uh, he would face life alone in the royal courts. He faced life alone when he had to go and pray for the little boy that was dead, that God would bring him back to life. Uh, he faced life alone uh, when he called fire down from heaven. Amen. Uh, and that absorbed the water and the wood. Hallelujah. He faced life alone uh, when he would have to openly rebuke King Ahab. Oh, but he was a loner, wasn't he? But God, oh my goodness, empowered him. God anointed him with the fire of the Holy Ghost. He was one of the most powerful prophets of old. Hallelujah. And I believe with all of my heart. Oh, hallelujah. As I said a few minutes ago, I believe that God is about to send the Elijah anointing. Oh, my goodness. Elijah's ministry wasn't finished. Oh, no. Just before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can expect a powerful anointing. We can expect an Elijah anointing. Amen. Oh, my goodness. We say there will be signs and there will be wonders. Oh, but there will. But it's going to take a greater anointing uh, it's going to take a man and woman uh, of faith that will believe God uh, stand up uh, oh and shout it aloud uh, and depend and know that God won't let you down uh, he'll watch over his word but it's going to take an anointing uh, to speak the word amen uh, and see God fulfill and bring it to pass hallelujah hallelujah he would watch a brook at Sherrod dry up all alone. Oh my. And we want to be like Elijah. Hallelujah. 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 He faced the wicked priest alone. Oh, the priest of Baal. He mocked Baal and the priest alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. He'd repair the broken down altar alone. He'd have to pray for a downpour of fire alone. He'd have to marshal the people to destroy the prophets of Baal all alone. He would have to pray for rain all alone. But he believed. Hallelujah. He'd have to face the doubt of a servant who saw through faithless eyes alone. Hallelujah. Oh, he would have to run 17 miles to Jezreel while Ahab rode in a chariot all alone. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He'd battled oppression under a juniper tree all alone. He'd be ministered by angels in the voice of God's direction all alone. So no matter how you look at it, there must be some times in our lives when we're willing to face down the calamities of life alone. When Jesus went to the garden, he felt all alone. When God turned his back on him because he couldn't look up on sin, can't imagine how he felt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. You know, that's why private prayer is important. 
we came in yesterday and prayed in the church and there was such a power such an anointing and we saw God move we saw some shackles fall off I mean I got some reports we saw God touch sick and we're going to hear more reports too of what happened praise God but that's why we have to meditate upon the word of God keep the word in our heart it's so important hallelujah Can one man make a difference or can one woman make a difference? Absolutely. Absolutely we can. Okay, then this, this training, the training, the school of obscurity and isolation teaches us humility. It teaches us humility. Amen. Number one, it teaches us the dependence on God. And then number two, they teach us humility. Hallelujah. When Elijah was fighting all these battles that we mentioned, the fact is that he immediately understood that any victory or any deliverance would have to come from the hand of God and not from himself. And that's where God wants to bring us to. I've often said, I believe that every person, every child of God will come to a place in life where they will have to strictly and solely depend upon God for something. I believe that. You know, the process of him and us becoming one includes that. Amen. If the job's going to be completed, then God's going to have to step in and bring a remedy. Hallelujah. And I thank God for it. God needs a man for one thing, to be in the proper position for the power of God to channel itself through. When flesh starts exalting itself, then that's when the Spirit of the Lord is hindered. And that's when the Spirit of the Lord starts to taper off and we go on our own. We must have God working in our life. Romans 7 and 18, For I know that in me, that's my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I've seen, I've watched over the years, I know a lot of people that are in ministry, a lot. But I've watched how in the beginning there was a tremendous anointing, a hunger and a desire for God to do the work of the Lord, just a yearning inside that person. And they were solely dependent upon the Lord, the anointing and the wisdom and the knowledge and the word. But then all of a sudden it seemed like flesh kind of got in the way. And we started looking at self, started trying to build a they, um, praise God, I'm not there. <laughs> they started trying to build a name for themselves. And uh, after a while, flesh gets in the way, and it just becomes a way of life. Just doing your own thing in your own strength. Amen. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Amen. So if we allow the flesh to rule us, then our purpose will not be accomplished. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you if you know any of these people. I hope maybe you'll get some little something out of this this morning. Um, there's a man by the name of 
Asyncritus, one by the name of Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, and Herms. Do you know any of those men? Have you heard of any of those men? No. Very few in any congregation know anything about any of these men that I just mentioned. But they were very, very important in the early church. Ask Paul. He can tell you about them. Amen. Uh, oh, Romans 16 and 14, it says, Salute, A-S-Y-N-C-R-I-T-U-S. Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Herms, and brethren which are with them. Now, these men were so important to the Apostle Paul. To him, they were world changers, you know. It takes everybody, the whole body of Christ, fitly joined together. Amen. But these men were not known. Just a few times that Paul mentioned them, maybe once or twice. Amen. And those were people that, you know, to the, in the sight of man, they probably lived in darkness and, and all, but... They weren't elevated like some of the people today, like the starlets in our world, like um, the political figures are right now. They they were not elevated to what maybe the, the starlets of Hollywood are, but they were everyday people who had a love for God, and they took their part. And you know what? They were probably the neck that turned the head of Paul. <laughs> Hallelujah. But these men were exalted. Um in time, but they won't be forgotten in eternity. As Critus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, and Herms would not have been garnered a second glance from this world. Nobody would have even noticed them. But just as the tides roll in and roll out, and the moon goes through its phases, there'll come a day when these men will rise from the dust of the obscurity, and they'll be championed. Amen. All the best women Men and women are not always on the forefront. These men that Paul mentions fought a noble battle. Hallelujah. Where would Dwight Eisenhower be without his troops on that overwhelming day in June of 1944? Where would he have been if he had been out there alone? Where would George Patton be without the tank corps that pressed out Rommel in North Africa? What would have happened there? I know I'm going fast. Maybe you're going to get something here, though. Where would George Washington be without his men on the Delaware that cold winter night? Where would Ronald Reagan be without his obscure speechwriter, Peggy Noonan? <laughs> Greatness is always preceded by preparation of character. Now, I know this should be more or less just a little teaching, but there's some good stuff in here. Greatness is always preceded by preparation of character. The first lesson of, of obscurity is that it teaches us dependence on God. And the second lesson of obscurity is that it teaches us humility. And the third lesson is that it teaches us that greatness is always preceded by preparation of character. Now, folks, I'm talking to us this morning because we're going places in the Lord. You know, the half has not yet been told. The best is yet to come. The move of God that Joel prophesies about. And different prophets in the Bible spoke of is yet to come. 
We're nearing the end days where we will see a mighty move of God. But God needs people. He needs vessels that's been trained. Uh, He needs vessels uh, that's waited on the Lord. Uh, He needs vessels uh, that's been patient, that's moved in the Spirit, that's walked in the Spirit. Amen. Obscurity is one of the principles of divine selection. This is exactly what God was doing with Gilead. Gilead, east of the Jordan River, was a wild, rocky, mountainous region, and its citizens matched the country. The country turned him into a man. Don't curse your geography. It is the plan of God. All these things, when I looked over this morning, as I said, this is not what I studied for, but you know, when I looked over all these things this morning, I, I just likened a lot of this to myself. To myself, you know? This was a place here where thieves and outlaws ran to, and it was not the gentle place that boasted of culture and charm. It was a rough place. Amen. But these obscure places are what God's design seems to be. He appears to revel revel in preparing men in places like this and then pulling them out suddenly and pushing them to the national scene. God's hands are not limited by the geography or where we came from. Amen. It's an old pattern. Call Moses out of the earth of the Chaldees. Move, I mean Abraham, move Moses from a wilderness of Midian. Find a Nicodemus on the Sanhedrin council. Take Joseph of Arimathea and remove him from the Aristoc of, from Jerusalem. Deal with Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. Set up the saints in Caesar's household and from a half-heathen Gilead, call Elijah out to be a prophet of fire. Amen. And for every Jezebel on the face of this earth, God's going to raise up an Elijah. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, the word says? Can any good thing? Hallelujah. There's a great danger sometimes in mistaking noise for power and activity for zeal. Praise God. You might not be in the thunder. It might not be in the rain. It might not be in the wind. It might not be in the earthquake. But we need to listen for that still small voice. Amen. One more one more uh, that I want to bring before you. Naaman. Naaman. Some of us have a Naaman syndrome. <laughs> Hallelujah. You remember Naaman. You remember what happened to him. He didn't want to go the way that God told him to go. You know, had he not obeyed God, he would have died of leprosy. He would have died of leprosy. Amen. Um, He didn't want to submit to Jordan's muddy waters. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to go to the other place where it was clean and it was clear. Amen. But in, in a place that was more appealing, Jordan's muddy waters. Sometimes God wants to bring us through Jordan's muddy waters to prepare us for what he's has for us and where he's bringing us to. But he wanted to go to the waters of Abana, and far par to those rivers and bathe. But God said, I want you to go. Jesus said, I want you to go to the river Jordan. Amen. Abana and far par can only provide relief. Jordan supplies healings. Come on, folks. Abana and far far is much more appealing, but Jordan is saving. 
These other rivers will serve self, but Jordan will serve the Spirit. Oh, boy. There's a lot of good stuff in here, folks. These other rivers are man's ways. Jordan's is God's ways. These others cater to our pride, but Jordan rests in humility. Abana and Farpar, extravagant in the world's eyes, but Jordan is extravagant in God's eyes. Naaman was so concerned with greatness that he almost died with leprosy. Hmm. Hallelujah. We need to go God's way, don't we? And we need not curse our upbringing or the places that God brought us through. The great ticket to obscurity is that God is using it to shape our future. If God can find us faithful in a few things, the Bible says, then he would make us ruler over many things. We can find that scripture in Matthew 25, verse 21. Hallelujah. So we need to work on the shade of security because there comes a day. Amen. Your work will be spotlighted. Your work will be spotlighted. God will honor. Praise God. So the lessons that we get from walking through these places. First one. Teaches us dependence on God. The second one. It teaches us humility. The third one. It teaches us that greatness is always preceded by preparation of character. Hallelujah. So, I know a lot of us have been through this these uh, training sessions, but let's thank God for good. All these work together for good. Amen. The steps of the righteous are order the Lord of the Lord. God prepares us for the work that He has for us to do. He prepares us. Amen for the call that he's placed on our life.